You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Valchutis. Eric, uh, Bloomberg Intelligence does a lot of great uh, research throughout the year. It also culminates at the end of the year with an outlook about 2022. And we're going to spend some time today talking about that. We have some guests who will join us to talk about that. And you have some kind of macro level stuff that we're going to also talk through. To get started, though, just high level, what what are some things that you're you're thinking about for 2022? Yeah, so in in BI they make us or they we should do it. <laughs> they do make us though. <laughs> right uh, outlooks and uh you know, it, look, you look forward. A lot of it is just repackaging the past into the future tense, I'll be honest. I mean, that's what a lot of sell side research does. We don't make calls like this will go up or down, but what we do is try to highlight the biggest themes that we think have a lot of legs or basically come against themes that may be overhyped. And so our big theme for next year is simply that ETFs are transcending the passive label. So that goes into how much there's been in uh, flows into active, discretionary active ETFs, ESG, smart beta, um, all kinds of, you know, I call them shiny objects. Uh, but even things like um, Simplify, which uses derivatives to sculpt outcomes, um, most of the innovation is happening there. So, and, and also Bitcoin. As, so as the tent gets wider and wider, and people put more stuff into ETFs that isn't just sort of cheap beta, that's good. Um, and we think that gives the industry a lot of growth because it's so accepting and big tennish. And that's our general theme for next year. And the reason we went there is because uh, basically almost every ETF took in money this year. I mean, you almost had to try to not get flows. That's how much the fish were biting. It was like a, a, a lake that was just stocked with a bunch of hungry trout. Um, and that's just the kind of year it was. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. And I've been covering this for 15 years. So within that optimism is a bunch of things that I think will break down on the podcast. But that's our general take on it is we we really see this sort of growth continuing. Okay, so joining us in this big tent, Todd Rosenbluth, who's a senior director of ETF and mutual fund research at CFRA, a regular on the podcast, as well as Katie Greifeld, another regular and favorite on the podcast who covers ETF for Bloomberg News and is also a regular on Bloomberg Quick Take. This time on Trillions, 2022. Todd, Katie, welcome back to Trillions. Great to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're going to walk through some of Eric's key research points. And and I would also encourage you, let's pick them apart as much as possible. <laughs> so, er, Eric, first of all, you want to talk about flows, right? Because this was a... 2021 was a huge year for flows into ETFs. How just how big was it, and and what do you think about 2022? Yeah, so 
we're, we're, we're looking at about 900 billion this year. That's, I think, where it's going to end up. Um, you know, we're still two weeks away, but that's probably where we'll be. Now, that is, what's the percentage? 80% more than the old record, which was set last year with about 500 billion. That's a big deal. That's not just breaking the record. That's completely obliterating it. And, you know, a couple things account for this. You obviously, they had uh, other areas of the market that did well. Breadth. So you had value, small cap, emerging um, tips. A lot of things really woke up this year that weren't just, say, like, you know, uh, FANG stocks and, and, and cheap beta. Although that takes the lion shares of the flows still. So you had this sort of ancillary areas of the market doing well. But you also just have more and more innovation happening. So many people are putting their best ideas to work in the ETF world. And, and that will that that pays. So next year, what do I think in flows? If, if you ask me to pick, I would say probably a little less. I, I can't imagine the market returning 27% again. So maybe we have a flat year or a tougher year. And I think the flows are good. Maybe maybe they're back to half a trillion, something like that. That would be my, my early guess into where the flows will be. But again, that's still a, a monster amount of growth, uh, especially considering not many other things are taking in cash. So should I jump in and uh, put Eric's feet to the fire? So... Going back to half a trillion, that's still an enormous amount of money. It would still be an enormous reduction from what we're seeing this year. I mean, do you really chalk up the fact that we're going to get $900 billion just to the fact that the S&P 500 was so strong? Yeah, so ETFs take in, I think, $2 billion a day baseline. I think just the, the, the vehicle is so popular. I think, you know, $1 to $2 billion come in just because people are are experiencing a format change. Most new money now goes into ETFs. It used to go into mutual funds. So I think that's just the baseline. And then this year it took in $4 billion a year. So the other $2 billion, I think, are a little more market dependent. The thing is, if the S&P were flat, right, something's going to be working. I remember like it was two or three years ago where nothing was working except cash. Well, short duration bond ETFs took in a ton of money. I think people sometimes equate ETFs with the S&P or equities, but they cover everything, even stuff that goes up when the market's down. So I think we we will see those flows. I agree that if the stock market really is this sort of like the star player of the ETF world, it's like you know LeBron or, or Steph Curry of their team. And when equities are tough, that will minimize the flows a bit. But I still think those other reasons uh, they'll be up there. You know, so maybe maybe the uh, the pace will come down a bit though. Todd, what do you think, up or down? Well, I think it's going to be up from the record we had last year. I think it's going to be between. 500 billion and a trillion dollars. Where exactly that is, is going to be dependent upon the stock market. Just to put some numbers behind what Eric was talking about, the three heavyweights within the space, IVV, VOO, and SPY are going to have taken in $100 billion. That's the first time they will have done that ever or anything close to that ever. And yet close to $800 billion is going into things that are not directly tied to the S&P 500. Either they're a slice of that or their fixed income. We saw tips explode this year, you know, given that investors have a chance to go wherever the puck is going using ETFs. So I think we're going to see an amazing year off of a very single digit level returns for the S&P 500. Okay. So one thing that I thought was a curiosity a little bit was that uh, that number for, for 2021 actually excludes mutual fund to ETF conversions, which, Eric, how big was that number? Uh, so if you count conversions that happened or announced, it's about $57 billion and it's about 2022 funds 
uh, so far. But again, if we go back to this time last year, it was zero and zero. So I think that superseded everybody's expectations. I noticed a lot of times when a conversion happens, there's this sort of like minimizing it like, oh, well, it's just that one firm who has that one tax fund. And uh, don't worry, this won't be a big deal. And then you see JP Morgan, and then you see Franklin, and then you see uh, Motley Fool, and then you see a cannabis fund. It's pretty widespread. We think there'll be a trillion dollars worth of conversions in the next 10 years. Uh, I think it could be even greater than that. That said, it won't be everything. That would be 10 to 15% of mutual funds uh, converting. But that's where we're at now. And if we count the 57 billion, you do get it closer to a trillion. But um, most services, I know Todd might be different, don't count conversions as flows as of now. They just show up as assets and ETFs, not flows. So a trillion dollars in 10 years. I mean, if you think of the realm of the mutual fund universe, isn't it about $21 trillion? It's huge. I mean, why would why only a trillion? Why stop there? What is preventing every single mutual fund from converting into an ETF, given that's clearly where the direction of travel is? Yeah, a couple of reasons. One is uh, the revenue over there is so good. And it, when you convert to an ETF, uh, they may just not, they fear self-cannibalization. They also, with the 401ks, it gets a little trickier with logistics, if not impossible. So for mutual funds that have deep 401k penetration, it's tough to just automatically have all those 401k plays have an ETF instead of a mutual fund. They're not bought similarly. So there's logistics, but I think some of those logistical issues will be overcome and solved. But uh, I, you know, I thought a, a trillion was a, when you make predictions, it's good to, if you, especially if you're contrarian, to go as low as you can while seeming bold. That way you can easily overcome it. So oh, like a trillion, if you if you take the, the vibe out there, you know, back in July when I predicted it, it was only like 5 billion in conversions. People were like, that's crazy. But as more and more come in, it seems like I'm underselling it. So I agree with you. I think it could be way more. But might as well be right by a lot than like overshoot. Have you seen prices right when they bid like $1 over? You got to like have that mindset with these predictions. You know, you don't want to overdo it. Bitcoin people do that sometimes. You know, they're like, oh, it's going to a million dollars. You're also supposed to put your pinky to your lip and say one trillion dollars. <laughs> well, don't forget, guys, that's the name of your of the podcast here. You guys called yeah. this we, trillions we, because we of speak the ETF. in trillions. That's true. You, yeah, the that's ETF true. space in trillions is connected to this podcast. That uh, uh, wait, you, you mean the uh, the name that. Joel gave the podcast like five years ago? Yes. And I, re- okay, I remember just, being just one of the early checking. guests to it about five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a good name then. We, we try and think big. Um, okay. I want to talk about another big thing, another theme in uh, the Bloomberg Intelligence 2022 outlook for ETFs. ETFs have long been known for, for a pa- with a passive context. And obviously there's been increasing amount of active, actively managed ETFs. Uh, but Eric, you and you teased this already, but there's a whole new paradigm and organization that you're thinking about. What what is that? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, shiny objects. I'm not. I mean, that's my term for it, or hot sauce. Um, you know, a professional institutional manager might call it funds with high tracking error. <laughs> but it's just basically stuff that's completely different than your a boring beta ETF like VOO or VTI. And why is that? Well, mo- most people own a very a very boring core. and But in order for that core to work, you got to not touch it. So I think there's this market to, enter, to, to, for, to entertain yourself, take speculative bets that could have asymmetric returns that are pretty high, like a call option. And you decorate your boring vanilla with these sort of outlier hot sauce funds, either like an ARK or a theme ETF or crypto. Crypto is a perfect, 
example of hot sauce, or you do call option trading on Robinhood. And this is so you just distract yourself from the vanilla. So I call it the barbell era, and I think we're in it, and I think that's why you don't tend to see outflows from these crazy, wacky, high-flying ETFs when they go down, um, like people think they would see outflows. They tend to be pretty sticky. Thoughts? I'll do the I agree with Eric, and then I'll do the I disagree with Eric. So I agree with Eric. I, I do think that that's how these products are, are happening. So thematic ETFs, you, you know, active as well as index-based thematic ETFs, were actually surprisingly popular uh, in 2021, despite the fact that we saw so many of these themes underperform. Cannabis, blockchain, cloud computing, so many of these technology-oriented themes underperformed, but money kept going into these products from GlobalX, among others. So I, in part because they round out a portfolio that's tied to the S&P 500. But I do think that we're going to see active core. I, I think you know a key player that's coming in 2022 is Capital Group. They're going to be launching their first suite of active equity ETFs, and they're going to be not the mutual funds that we know of from American funds, but they're going to be similar enough to those. And those are core oriented strategies. They're just going to be actively managed by an experienced team. I think we're going to see that do well. Oh, now this could be a bet. Okay. So I, we talked to Capital Group. I give them credit. They're like, look, we're going for the core. We're going at Vanguard. We're trying to dislodge them. We believe Active has a place in the core. Uh, you know, God bless them. I think they'll fail dramatically. I think that nobody is going to sell a three basis point beta ETF for for that. I think those days are over. Even if they come in as low as twenty five thirty, they'll probably have some success because they have clients that know them and like them. So maybe there's a little bit, but I don't see that as a bet. This is a good bet for us. How about over under after one year for Capital Group? I'll go with uh, seven billion. I'll take. You want to take the over on that? That's that's the number you want to go with. You don't want to go lower if you're that pessimistic. The seven billion is not that much these days, especially with inflation. Sure, I'll take the over. I was I thought you'd go lower on it. Okay. Yes, I will. I will take. I guess we're here. This is happening first and live. This is uh, it. In, this so is we, uh, so we've got two, we've got two reporters slash editors in the room. They're going to be writing this yeah. up. For, I'm sure. For the, <laughs> for the record, Katie, I'll, I'll just buy you lunch regardless. But yeah, whatever. yeah. okay, I love that. Sure, seven billion dollars. <laughs> 12 months after they launched the first product. Yes. Not in 20. 12 months after launch, the first product. They're, they're going to launch at some point in the first quarter. Um, when the first capital group ETF hits, we start the clock. 12 months later, do they have $7 billion total or not? I say under. I'll go with over. There we go. All right. There we go. That's a good bet. Katie, let me ask you, who would you take? If you were like uh, betting on the bet, who would you go with? I don't know, Eric. I feel like you win these bets a lot. So just based on historical performance, I have to oh, go. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This is an <laughs> oh, ETF show. Does, does anyone actually listen to those disclaimers? We we <laughs> no, we at not. built a research product related to it. Oh my okay. gosh, Todd. Todd, though, full disclaimer: Have you actually ever won? Have I ever won? Yes, not on not on lunch. Uh, Todd is very good on bets that we don't make at steak yes. lunch or steak dinner. Those sort of little ones that we just do a friendly bet, he cleans up. So it's it's more even than you think. It's just when we make it steak dinner that he just it's you're in his it head. doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. I think so, okay. yeah. All right. Support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. 
25 years ago, Invesco QQQ rethought the investing landscape by providing access to the NASDAQ's 100 most innovative companies, all in one ETF. What's ahead for the next 25 years? Could it be flying cars, neural implants, electric planes? No one knows for sure, but one thing's for certain. You can gain access to that progress with Invesco QQQ ETF. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, so we talked. We talked about the shiny stuff, uh, Katie. I'm interested. You know, the other obsession of Eric's is the the cheap side, which he touched on there. Is there any uh, uh, any other new action in the cheap space that's that's caught your attention? Well, it feels like the lurch towards lower fees just continue, and it it is interesting in talking about you know these active funds. I mean, even those funds are so dirt cheap, but. Um, in this sort of race to the bottom, uh, if you look at the leaderboard, I mean, Todd already brought up the fact that, you know, the three big ones have already brought in like $100 billion this year. And all of this talk of shiny stuff, which can be more expensive, I don't know, it stood out to me that this year, everything just seems to have gone to like plain, boring vanilla funds, which are dirt cheap, even though, I mean, I've spent the better part of this past year talking about all the shiny stuff, all the memes, meme stocks and crypto and everything else. But still, it just feels like these like such cheap, boring products have this gravitational pull towards them. I think this also speaks to just the media apparatus. And I'm guilty as anybody. We tend to cover the stuff that moves and does, you know, uh, move around up and down way more. If you if you do a, a NT search on like VTI, versus, say, ARC. ARC will have like 30 times the coverage of VTI, even though VTI is 30 times bigger. And that's just the way it is. Um, that's just how, it's not just financial, it's just the way the media operates. Um, you wouldn't have a, a media infrastructure if you said to everybody, well, let's just cover VTI all day long. Uh, yeah, no, because what, I mean, what is there to say, you know? What is about- there to say? It's bigger. Line goes up. Which we did, which we did at the top. Okay, so let's talk about this idea of this new active though, because we, we kind of got there with the capital group and that's another theme 
in the 2022 outlook, Eric. So, so what, is, what does that mean to you? New Active is, and here's where Todd and I will disagree, which is good for uh, the podcast. New Active, we consider, if you take smart beta, so it tracks an index, but let's say it tilts towards dividends or momentum stocks, we would consider that active, even though it's rules-based. It's just rules-based active. So if you look at New Active, a lot of active, a lot of way people like to consume active these days is through an index fund. So smart beta, ESG, uh, themes. And so that would be new active. And if you add up new active plus traditional active, you get a nice solid like 20% of flow lane, which again is in two, $300 billion considering how much ETFs are taking in. And that, that lane, that, that is where all of the innovation is happening right now. Um, even though, as Katie said, six, 700 billion are going to the boring vanilla stuff nobody talks about. That lane of two, 300 billion is, is pretty good. You can definitely carve out a living there if you have the right product. So since I got set up for it, I'll, let me just state my case for it. We would consider the iShares value factor ETF, VLUE, which was extremely popular in 2021, to be an index-based product. Now, it's being used actively by the investor to tactically rotate in or out based on moving into value and moving away from momentum or quality. But those have been extremely popular this year. We've seen advisors increasingly use factor ETFs from iShares, from Invesco, among others, single factor products and build a portfolio around those products. But those are index-based products. Those are passive. They just are being handled by the investor in an active manner, in my view. No, no, no. But, okay, but you could argue VOO is just being used, act, or uh, SPY is being used actively, and that's passive. I get that argument. What I'm saying is the ETF itself is active because it has these rules that say, if the if the the metrics say this, we're going to buy these stocks. If it doesn't, we're going to sell these. That's the same thing a discretionary active manager would do. They might they might they'll have a system with their you know rankings of stocks and whatnot. This is just formalizing it into a, an index. I think I, I don't I just think the line between a person picking stocks because of how they feel and this is under the same tent of active. All right. I'll agree to disagree on it. But yes, the difference between a, a, a factor tilt to it that rebalances every six months, we know it's going to happen. We don't know exactly what's going in to it, but we know it's going to happen. Whereas we don't know what's going into ARC's products tomorrow or what ca- will go into the capital group or the Fidelity or the Tiro Price actively managed ones. Those managers have discretion. But I agree with you. The The outside of the pure beta products, the core, is going to grow. Factors, thematic-oriented ETFs, which we touched on, and those where the manager has discretion, we're going to see more, more of those products in 2022, and we're going to see them garner even more of the assets than we saw in 2021. I agree with you on that. All right. We're in agreement. Um, it was a huge year for active in that you saw a lot of flows. You saw a lot of active launches even though, I mean, you would have done totally fine in the S&P 500. It wasn't a great environment for active managers because, I mean, just being, again, in a boring old index, you would have gotten, what, a 25% gain, give or take. And I guess my question, uh, what do you make of that? I think there's a few things that are happening. One is the success of ARC in its performance and gathering assets in 2020 opened the door for more investors to be comfortable with actively managed ETFs and asset managers to try to launch a like me kind of product to offer those strategies. 
Some of the actively managed products are semi-transparent or I think what you guys refer to as non-transparent or active non-transparent ETFs where the asset managers are getting into it. And then we also have these defined outcome-oriented ETFs that continue to gain traction. And, and those, I think, Bloomberg also, the way that we at CFRA, we call those actively managed ETFs. So I don't think when the year ends, we're going to see that these actively managed ETFs performed all that well, but investors are willing to to look for something better than just the benchmark. But yes, they would have been quite fine just owning IVV or VOO for three basis points and been up more than 20% for the year. Again, the cheap and shiny. Uh, if you look in the cheap bucket, there are there's active there. DFA is cheap. Uh, Avantis, which again, I consider active, is cheap. And they see flows. So the cheap or shiny to me has replaced the active or passive. As long as you're one of those two things, I think you're going to see flows. I think if you're passive... Like there's index funds that track the S&P that charge 40 basis points. Nobody buys them. But if there's index like active funds that charge 40 basis points, nobody's buying those either. But on the shiny object bucket, there's actually active funds in there too. Like Block is active. ARC is obviously active. So to me, um, I think that that's replaced active or passive. If you can get very cheap or very shiny, uh, investors will overlook, I think, sometimes whether you're active or passive. But I just don't think they want to pay... 50, 60 bips for a kind of active. All right. Last theme we're going to talk about, 2022 outlook, digital assets. Eric, you talked about how big this tent can get. It's long meant equities and bonds and commodities, but you think that there's a new horizon in the form of, of crypto and crypto futures. And that's obviously what happened this year with the first Bitcoin futures product. But where else could that go? Oh my God, the potential is enormous. Um, we predict, a, again, a trillion dollars probably in, let's say, 10 years or even less after the first spot Bitcoin ETF is approved. Money's going to fly in quickly. But right now, there's only a futures ETF. I don't think Gensler will approve a spot for at least a year. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wait to see this play out in full. But right now, the rest of the world is launching spot ETFs. They're doing well. The Bitcoin futures ETF's got a, a billion and a half. But until Gensler approves spot, and we, then we start to see a uh, fee war breakout, a crypto basket ETF, that is going to really trigger some real money. And so we think that digital assets is sort of the next big phase in ETFs. Eric, are you referring to digital assets, like not including the equity oriented ones that are digital assets related, like Vanek has one, not including Global those. X has nope. those. Are you including- I would call those themes. Are you including what might be uh, a Bitwise related product tied to NFTs? I know they, they launched an index- it this month. Sure. If that could somehow be ETFized, for sure. But I think I'm mostly just speaking about direct spot crypto investment. You think we're going to see one before the 10 years is, is over? <laughs> I mean, I would hope so. I, I'm not that bearish. I mean, Gensler, well, first of all, Gensler should be gone in two or three years, <laughs> at the very least. I mean, because even Biden's not going to, I mean, Biden might, is probably going to be gone. So even if a Democrat takes over, they might replace him. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll, I think his mind will evolve over the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I could be wrong. It, it could never happen. It's possible. But even if it doesn't happen, the rest of the world will offer stuff. Canada's got a bunch going on. Uh, but let's just assume that at some point they approve one. I'm saying that's uh, going to trigger a, a whole new massive asset class for ETFs to cover. Katie, how busy is that going to make you? You're already pretty busy. I mean, uh, from a job security standpoint, that's awesome. I, 
I don't know. I want to dig into the the, the it's going to take several years to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. I feel like the winds shifted so quickly when it came to the futures product. Like in May, there was no hope at all. The tunnel was completely dark. We weren't going to get anything. And then all of a sudden in August, uh, it felt like Gensler almost came out of nowhere and said, actually file it under this rule, make sure it's futures back, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, a few months later, we had one. He's been quite clear, Gensler, that he's not comfortable with a spot-oriented product, and he's concerned about fraud. And I, again, I don't know how you disprove that fraud is going to happen. And I think that's a challenge that, that asset managers are going to struggle with. You know, Grayscale has, you know, has probably the, the highest profile uh, offering on, on the docket. I don't think that that's going to make its way through. I, I don't know when it's going to be, but I, I definitely don't think it's going to be in, or I don't believe it's going to be 2022, but I'm not, I'm not willing to put another bet in the line in, in, in 2022 just because I got I, I lost. This was the opportunity for you to crow, <laughs> Eric. I lost a Bitcoin. When would a Bitcoin futures based product come to market? And I still owe you for that one, but I'll pay up. Yeah. And to Katie's point, I, I won't crow too much, um, although um, three Pete, um, this was something that did qu- develop quickly. And you're right. Once Gensler, we're, we're always looking at Gensler's words. If, if it changes a little, it's possible. Maybe, again, I, I think of that Obama on gay marriage. He said, I'm evolving. Remember that famous phrase he had? This to me is Gensler. How fast is he evolving? And that's all that matters is Gensler's evolution on the crypto market and where that's at. I, I don't know. But it could come qu- once he gets a little more evolved, it could come more quickly to Katie's point. I will say I cover macro markets. I also cover ETFs. It feels like Gensler Watch has become almost to the same level of like Fed Watch, like parsing his words, like putting them under the microscope the same way you would with Jerome Powell. It's pretty crazy. Support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. 25 years ago, Invesco QQQ rethought the investing landscape by providing access to the NASDAQ's 100 most innovative companies all in one ETF. What's ahead for the next 25 years? Could it be flying cars, neural implants, electric planes? No one knows for sure, but one thing's for certain. You can gain access to that progress with Invesco QQQ ETF. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, so this crypto digital asset space, the the likelihood that ETF becomes a wrapper that can do things other than just uh, uh, equities and bonds and commodities. I'm curious, though, what what other risks could be associated with this space, right? I think the big risk is just this is such an unusual asset class. And, you know, we don't, you know, it is a little Wild West, which is what Gensler calls it. There are some unknowns. It's volatile. But again, I think people who would own crypto would use it as a, a accessory on the portfolio and understand. And actually, they want the volatility or understand it. But so I don't see too much. But I just think crypto in general is a pretty developing place, and I think that that would be the risk: is would could something happen that we just don't see? I'm really interested to see what happens with um, the futures ETFs for Bitcoin that are on the market. Because remember when? They launched. We spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the fact that Bitto pretty pretty quickly bumped up against its futures position limits. Um, obviously, the sort of just mad dash of assets into that fund has cooled down. But I mean, that's something that I'll be watching. And then, I mean, the fact that they're futures based. I mean, we've covered the roll costs to death, but also to get the level of exposure in the fund. And I hope I don't butcher the mechanics of this, but just owning the amount of futures contracts that you need to get that exposure. I mean, even though it's not leveraged, it kind of is leveraged in some sense. So, I mean, if there's a huge downswing in Bitcoin, I mean, sentiment for the past few weeks has been pretty terrible. Just curious to see what they look on a big downswing, because we've seen them in a huge upswing so far. Yeah, I I think Bitcoin futures-based products are going to be its own investment class, and investment style, but I think it's going to be relatively niche. And, you know, there's just, let's put it in perspective, there's just $1.4 billion in assets. And as you mentioned, a lot of attention for it this year. It was perhaps the story of the year, but just $1.4 billion is is not that big a deal in terms of what we got so far of what, eight, you know, almost $900 billion. Okay, as we wrap up here, Eric, is there any other themes or 2022 outlook ideas that we haven't hit on that you want to make sure that we we touch? Yeah, I think the big one is inflation. Uh, this is not going away. This this word is uh, here to stay for a long time, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see the ETF industry is so on it about exploiting the, the news flow. And so we've seen that every, and Katie covered this, every ETF with the word inflation has seen flows this year. I don't think I've ever seen that. Usually there's one or two without flows or nothing. So how many ETFs are going to try to figure out how you can actually get ahead of inflation, beat inflation? Uh, we might see a leveraged inflation benefactors ETFs. Like there could be some crazy stuff. That's going to be a whole wing of the ETF world, I think, uh, in a similar way that currency hedging was back in the day. Even beyond tips, they'll they'll work inflation into commodities, into equities. There could be some that go across a bunch of different areas that's going to be interesting to me to watch. Um, and I, I foresee that as being like a sort of mini subplot next year. 
Well, Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiary ETF, INFL, which as we're recording this is about $900 million in assets. It launched earlier this year. Was among the best timed ETFs. You know, we've we've talked about Hack and how they they were early, uh, just ahead of the cybersecurity. The fact that inflation is so prominent. This is an equity ETF that owns energy materials companies exchanges that are benefiting because they're asset light or or because they benefit from it. The fact that we only have one of these products really in the marketplace, or one or two of these products. The I agree with you. The asset management industry knows how to launch products that benefit from the same themes that somebody had success with in a prior year. We're going to see more of these products. I feel like the fact that we already have a meme ETF is pretty good proof that um, issuers are just really good at launching funds. Yeah, I was talking to Dave Nadig, who was saying how, you know, the, the year started with meme stocks, and then it sort of went here and there. And it was like it ended with a meme ETF. <laughs> um, actually, six months, I would say I'm surprised it didn't come out even faster. Remember, there was like a five-month period where people were like, why isn't there a meme ETF? And then I think Roundhill finally filed. But yeah, Roundhill, by the way, put the Metaverse ETF out. That was another cybersecurity perfect timing. I think we will continue to see ETFs that come out that you're like, what in the hell does this even mean? Where you have to Google the topic. Because people realize that you sort of have to be before that news moment, that catalyst, that Zuck moment where, oh, now we care about this. You can't, if you do it after, you miss a good amount of, of flow action. So again, I think we'll see so much experimentation. And because the, there's such a, a hunger for things that are hot saucyan, between that and the getting ahead of stuff, there's going to be ETFs, again, where you, you won't even know what it is. You have to Google the term. Hot saucyan. That's what you should name this episode, guys. Hot saucyan. <laughs> Eric just invented another word. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on that note, Todd, Katie, thanks so much for joining us on Drive. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Baltrunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. This podcast is made possible by Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.